Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of justification by faith or justification by faith and works, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that there is a difference in terms of how we can live. We can live a life in accordance with repentance and obedience, or we can live a life in accordance with trust and reliance and abiding a life of dependency on the love of God, and that those are two completely different ways of living, two completely different ways of life. And so in today's program, I would like to pursue that a little bit further because I mentioned it, but I didn't really get into the details of it. And while we may argue this point about how we are justified, are we justified by faith or are we justified by faith in works, we may come to an intellectual conclusion with regards to this subject, but I personally believe that it really is not complete until we really consider what is going to be the driving force within us, behind us, that will actually perform the works of God. Because what happens is that people are suggesting, well, there has to be works. There has to be works. If believers are not performing the works of God, then there is definitely something wrong. Now, as I explained earlier in a previous broadcast in this series, the answer, of course, is no. There does not have to be works. And I use the illustration of when a person is saved. If a person is saved five minutes before they physically die and enter into the kingdom of heaven, do they have to perform the works of God? And if we look at their life for five minutes if we do not see any works of God that are expressed in their life, then perhaps they're not saved. Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're trying to imply? However, if a person has been born again for 50 years, if they've been a child of God for that long, and they do not perform any works whatsoever in their life again, are they going to be saved or are they not going to be saved? Are they going to be in the kingdom of heaven or not in the kingdom of heaven? And if we were to just consider something as simple as that, then we could look at that and say, no, there does not not have to be works, that a person is saved and justified by faith alone. And while works are things that we would expect to see in a believer's life, if we use the phrase has to be, or it is necessary to see works in a person's life, then this is what it's going to come down to. Please understand that I'm not wanting to say that we should not expect to see works in a Christian's life, but this is what it's going to come down to. What it's going to come down to is what are those works? What are the works that you want to see in a person's life in order to say or feel justified to the extent where you would have confidence in saying that this person is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven? What are those works? How many of them would you expect to see? How many works of repentance would you expect to see? How much sin do you want to see a person put out of their life before you would be willing to say that this is a believer, that this is a born-again believer, a Christian, a child of the living God? How much would you want to see? Or how much obedience to good works, to those things that they should be doing? How much is going to be necessary? And nobody seems to really want to answer that question. 
No one seems to want to answer that question, and I'll tell you why. It's because they can't answer it. The reason why is because it cannot be answered without being true and honest to the word of God that was given in the old covenant that was full, complete obedience. You are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Your righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Otherwise, you will in no ways enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the righteousness of the scribes of the Pharisees was a life wholly, completely devoted to repentance and obedience. And so if you want a standard to live by, start with that one and then build on top of it, and you might perhaps be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The point is, is that people are not saying specifically, precisely, what you need to do, what works we need to see in order to believe and trust that their justification is made perfect. People are not willing to say that because the answer will always come down to you will never be able to do it. And you need to come to a point in your life experience, you need to come to a point in your faith to acknowledge that that is the truth. Come to the end of this issue and acknowledge that, yes, it is true that works have no part in a believer's life in terms of their identification as a child of God, in terms of their salvation, in terms of their entrance into the kingdom of heaven, in terms of their faith in Christ Jesus. It has absolutely nothing to do with that at all. Now, having said that, I also want to say that we certainly would expect to see works in a believer's life. We would certainly expect to see that. There's no reason not to expect that. But as soon as we say that there has to be, then we have to define what are those things that have to be. And when we do that, I think we're going to start going down the wrong path. The argument is not about whether or not we should see works of God. That is not really the argument. The argument has to do with what is going to be the origin behind that. Now, I'm going to cover this from two perspectives. The first perspective is going to be a description of what people are teaching today, how we can see the works of God in a person's life. When we disciple people, how do we disciple them so that they can perhaps mature and perform the works of God? I'm going to tell you what people are generally teaching today, and then afterwards I'm going to explain how this can really be real in a person's life, completely separate from what is being presented today. What is being presented today is a life of repentance and obedience, that you are to first turn away from all of your sins and that you are to turn towards the works of God, the good works of God, those things that you are supposed to be doing. Now, I totally reject this concept. I totally reject that this is the way a person should be discipled, but I'm going to acknowledge at first that this is what people are teaching. Now, please understand, again, I'm not wanting to encourage people to live a life of sin. I'm telling you that there is another way. There is another way of life that will transform a person. Now, when considering a life of repentance, this is generally the motive or the motivator that causes a person to turn away from sin. The motivation that is generally pursued is threat of punishment. In other words, you need to turn away from your sins. You need to repent or you are going to be punished by God, or he is not going to cause his face to shine upon you. You will not be loved by your God. You will not be accepted by your God. You will not be pleasing to your God, or he might cause circumstances in your life that would cause you suffering in your life experience. These are threats of punishment that are generally given in order to try and encourage a person to turn away from sin. Now, this simply does not work. I mean, it can work to a certain extent. You can normally get the flesh under some reasonable degree of control by threatening it enough. 
I understand that you can do that through a form of behavior modification. You can somewhat change a person's lifestyle. You can do that to a certain degree. But you're not going to address the issues of a person's heart. You're not going to be able to do that. When it comes to obedience, instead of threatening a person to obey, we normally put it in the context of rewards. That if you are obedient to God, you will be rewarded by God. There is sort of this promise that you're going to receive a bag of gumballs or you're going to receive wealth, or other things that you're going to receive. But the point is is that people are putting this carrot out there saying that if you are obedient, you will be blessed by God. That is the motivator that many people are using in order to try to get a person to do the right thing. And so we have a combination of stopping a person from doing what is wrong and getting them to do what is right. And these are the motivators that people use in order to try to get people inspired to do these things. If that doesn't work, then we'll try a guilt trip maybe. Maybe something like, you're not really appreciative of what the Lord Jesus did for you, are you? You don't really appreciate that. You should be ashamed of yourself because he is definitely ashamed of you because you're not appreciative of what he did. You're not thankful for what he has done for you. That is definitely something that you need to get straightened out. You need to be more thankful because if you are thankful, then you would turn away from your sin and you would turn to the works of righteousness. That is what's going to perhaps motivate a person. Or try this one. You don't really love God, do you? Because if you really loved him, if you even wanted to love him, then you would obey his commandments. Right? That is what people are teaching. The Lord Jesus himself said that, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I personally believe that his intent of saying that was to strictly say, you see, you do not love me. And that's an important thing for us to understand is that in and of ourselves, we do not love God. If we can acknowledge that, if we can understand that, then we can receive his mercy and his grace for us because we don't love him. And our only hope then that remains is that he loves us first. That's the transition between the old and the new covenant a very important transition that many people never seem to make. They still want to hang on to this idea that through their obedience, through their repentance, they're going to show God how much they love him. And that is not what God had in mind. It isn't. The law was given, the law of repentance and obedience was given to lead us to a point of fully acknowledging that we are totally, absolutely hopeless. But if a person is not willing to acknowledge that, they're not willing to accept that, then they're not going to be able to move into the next transition in our life in Christ, which is a life of rest and peace that enables us to truly perform the works of God. And that's what I'm going to get to next. And so please understand that we have to make a decision in terms of how we're going to really be discipled and how we are going to walk in our daily life. You can try to live a life on the basis of threat of punishment or the promise of rewards, but I'm telling you that there's a completely different way. To make this easier, let me pick on some specific sins. Let's start with sexual immorality, that that is something that we are to repent from. I'm going to just pick on that one for a minute, because I think most people can identify with that to one degree or another. The other thing that I'm going to identify is in the subject of obedience that has to do with telling other people about your faith telling other people about the gospel. I think that everyone would agree 
that a person should be turning away from sexual immorality and they should be turning towards a type of evangelism or a form of evangelism to be involved in communicating the gospel of the Lord Jesus with other people that they have an opportunity to interact with in their daily life experience. I think we could all agree that those are two things that would fit in the categories of repentance and obedience. But what is really going to motivate a person to turn away from sexual immorality? Is it going to be because I, as a pastor, get up in front of them and stick my finger right in front of their nose and say, you need to stop doing those things. You need to stop being sexually immoral. If you don't stop doing that, then I'm going to question whether you're even a Christian at all. I'm telling you that God is going to punish you even. He's going to hurt you. He is going to cause things to happen in your life that will destroy your wonderful life that you have right now. God is going to punish you if you do not turn away from this sexually immoral behavior. Is that really going to work? Tell me something. Is that really going to change a person? If I did that to you, would that really change your desire to participate in sexual immorality? Would that really help? Would that really make a big difference? Well, it might to some degree. I understand that, that if some people are frightened enough, if they're threatened enough, if they're in fear of God enough, then perhaps they'll stop doing that. They may stop doing that in their flesh. Stop doing that in their heart? I don't think so. But they may very well stop doing it in their flesh, and we could announce some sense of victory in that sense. But I'm telling you that there is a much better way. There is a much better way. Consider also the issue of people not communicating with others about the gospel. What are we going to say? Are we going to say that you do not really appreciate what God has done for you? If you really appreciated what he did for you, then you would tell others about what he has done for them. And so we lay these guilt trips on people. But let me tell you something. This is the fundamental message that's being conveyed. When you first come to know the Lord Jesus and you're first born again, what people are teaching is that God does not completely fully love them. God does not completely fully accept them that to a certain degree, they are not really loved by God. They're not really accepted by God. God does not really completely approve of them. God does not really fully love them. He's not fully pleased with them. To a certain degree, he is actually ashamed of them. That's what is being communicated when we start discipling people in this manner. We are telling them that they are not really fully accepted by their God, and so they need to be doing things and they need to be turning away from things that they have been doing so that they can be fully loved by God, so that they can be fully pleasing to God. That's what we're communicating. But what happens? A person never comes to a point where they are able to fully put out all of the sin in their life, or maybe any of it for that matter, and they never come to a point where they're able to be obedient to God as the law would demand. And so again, they hear the message that God does not really love them, he does not really approve of them, he is not pleased with them. And so where does that leave a person? That leaves a person with even more hopelessness than when they got started. And this is the usual description that people give me. They say, you know, when I first came to Christ Jesus, I was so excited. I really enjoyed the relationship that I just entered into. But then as the years went by, something just went wrong. And all of a sudden, I finally recognized that I feel further away from God today than when I was first saved. This is a very, very common statement from people. Now, the problem is, is that people will then redouble their efforts, redouble their efforts 
in trying to be repentant and obedient, and then they will feel even more further away from the Lord because they will never be repentant enough, they will never be obedient enough, and then they will feel even more desperate. And many come to a point where they just totally reject the Lord altogether. They walk away from the faith. If not by a formal rejection, they do so just by simply putting him out of their mind and getting preoccupied with their daily lives. This is what happens in people's life. I'm telling you, however, that the reason why a person ends up in this cycle is because they don't really believe that they have been made right with God, they have not been justified before their God by what he did for them. And this was the point that Paul was making in contrast with what James was making, and that is that you must come to a point in your life where you finally really truly, fully believe that your faith is not going to be perfected by your works. If you won't believe that, it's over. You might as well just forget it all, because it's not going to lead you anywhere but to a sense of desperation and emptiness. And that can be a good point to reach if you're finally willing to step aside from this, but you've got to believe that the sin issue between you and your God really is over that the idea of works is over, you must come to that transition. Otherwise, you will not be able to reach out to him and enter into the new life that he has made available for you. There is a completely different way, a completely different way of living, but you will never, ever enter into it until you get this issue settled. And I believe that that's why Paul spent so much time on it and why he wrote about it so much was because people were really struggling with this, especially because of the perpetual invasion of the church in Jerusalem that was still teaching that you are to live a life of repentance and obedience. But this is where I'd like to take this a step further, and this is something that Paul did not really do in his letters, but I'm going to do it here. I'm going to take it a step further and explain to you how a change can happen in a person's heart. You see, when it comes to things like sexual immorality, repenting from that, or when it comes to things of obedience, such as sharing your faith with other people, nobody's asking the question why a person pursues sexual immorality. Nobody's dealing with the question of why a person is not sharing their faith with others. That is something that is being neglected. Neglected in the sense of what is the real core issue in a person's heart. Instead, people are saying, well, the reason why is because they don't appreciate God. It's because they don't really believe God. It's because they're not being threatened enough. It's because they're not being promised enough blessings. Those are the assumptions that people are making, and I'm telling you that those are completely false assumptions. The reason why a person pursues sexual immorality is because they want to. And the reason why they want to is because they believe that through engaging in an improper relationship, they are going to feel loved. They are going to feel accepted. They are going to feel wanted by someone else. These are needs that we all have, and while we may not express it in the context of sexual immorality, there are other ways, there are other sins that we commit trying to get these needs met. These are the reasons why, because we were created by our God with a distinct desire, a distinct need to be wanted, a distinct need to be loved perfectly and unconditionally, a distinct need to feel accepted. And when we reach out to his creation, hoping that through the embrace of another that he created, we're going to feel loved, we're going to feel accepted. We're going to feel as though we have our place in this world. When we do that, then we are doing this as an expression of sin. 
And the reason why is because we are turning away from our God, who is the only one who can meet our need, our desire for unconditional love and acceptance. He is the only one who can meet our need to be wanted. He is the only one who can provide us with our place in this world through our relationship with Him. He is the only one who can do that. But if a person does not know, if they do not know that He loves them unconditionally and fully, if they do not know that He accepts them unconditionally and fully, if they do not know that he is fully pleased with them because of what he did for them, if they do not believe this, if they do not know this, then they will have no alternative but to end up pursuing sin because that is all that they have left. And we're all so surprised because Christian leaders or Christian people end up being ensnared and trapped in with things such as sexual immorality. We're all surprised about that, but it's only because they're not resting in the truth. It's only because they're not believing the truth. And they'll tell you that they don't believe the truth because they're burying you under the very laws that they think will cause you to turn away from sexual immorality, and yet in truth, it will eventually lead you to it even more. And that is the failure of discipleship. That is the failure of the church. It is not the failure in that we fall and end up in sin. The failure is because people are not believing the truth that God really loves them and that his love is not second best and that his acceptance is not second best and that he is not really ashamed of them. If they would only believe in that and rest in that, it would fulfill the very deepest needs within them and they would say no to sin because the false advertising of sexual immorality will become not only obvious, but it will become empty when they are able to truly experience the love and the acceptance that the Lord really does have for them. If we would only believe that, if we would only rest in that, but we can't when people are teaching the things that they are, We never will. We'll never know that until a person comes to the point of driving the stake in the ground and saying, I am not justified by my works. My faith is not perfected by works. My relationship with God is not established by my works. But everything is truly because of what he did and that it really is over. The same thing when it comes to the issues of obedience. We are to share the good news of the Lord Jesus with others, not because we hope to be rewarded, not because we're concerned about being punished, but we share the good news and the grace of God with others because we know that that is the only thing that will meet the very deepest needs in their heart. If we will only experience it in our own lives and enjoy what he has given, take freely what he has given to us and receive the full inheritance that he has for us and live in our daily life with it, we would know what the true benefit of it is. We would know the true freedom that we experience from sin by resting in trusting and living a life of dependency on all that he has truly given to us. When that happens, you cannot help but share that with other people. Because when you see the bondage that they're in, you're not going to go up to them and say, you dirty, rotten sinner, evil person, you, you need to learn to love God. You need to stop doing that or God is going to punish you. We don't reach out to people in that way. We reach out to them saying, look, I understand that you have deep needs in your heart. I understand that. And I understand that you have a desire in your heart. And I understand that these things are causing a great deal of destruction in your life and in the lives of other people. We understand that, but instead of addressing those issues in that direct sense, instead, I want to tell you something, you can be loved by your God because he does love you. He wants you 
He wants you right now, regardless of what you're struggling with, regardless of what sins you're dealing with, regardless of what lack of obedience exists in your life, He loves you. He wants you. He accepts you. He is pleased with you. He approves of you. He is not ashamed of you because of what He did for you. And because of that, He wants you to take what He is giving. Because if you will only be satisfied by what He has, by who He is in your life, then it will cause you to turn away from sin. It will cause you to live a life of obedience because you'll want to. That's why. Because you'll want to. Because He will transform you from the inside. He will change who you are as a person completely by the fulfilling aspect of Him in dwelling within you. And when that happens and you say no to sin and yes to righteousness, you will fully acknowledge that it is only because He is in your life. It is only because of what He does within and through you. And you'll know the difference. You'll know the difference. It will be an experience of peace and rest as opposed to an experience of uncertainty, which is fully justified because unless you receive what He has given, there is no other way. There is no other way to be at peace. There is no other way to be at rest. And so if you will not believe this, if you will not believe that the sin issue between you and your God has been completely resolved through the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, if you will not believe that, you will never experience what I'm talking about. You will never experience the fulfillment in your heart. You will never have the deep needs that you have in dwelling within you as part of your design, as part of your creation. You will never have them met. And if you will never have these met, you will have no alternative but to try and pretend to be somebody that you're not through the threat of punishment or through the promise of reward. And that is not what your God has given to you. That is not it. But if you won't acknowledge that your works have no place in your life anymore, if you will not acknowledge that, if you will not understand that, then you will never be at peace, you will never be at rest, and there will be no opportunity for the living God to perform His works within and through you, which are the only works that matter. And in that way, your faith will certainly be made perfect, no question about it. But the distinguishing factor is that He does that through the satisfaction that He gives within you, within the very core of your being, as opposed to you doing so out of the concern of being punished or out of the promise of being rewarded. And those are two completely different ways of life, two completely different ways of living, and you will never be able to enter into the fullness of what the Lord Jesus has really provided for you until you recognize that you are not justified by your faith and works, but by faith alone. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net